Thanks for your offer, Sean. We're not going to take you up on that, but that was a good illustration of the Rittenhouse summary because Tucker does have uh, the time to do that. He's got the research crew and the other analyses that we saw this week in the show card. Uh, they're more lengthy. Uh, they're more uh, spicy, some of them. And uh, we had to choose one in order to keep our date with Mr. James Corbett. Now, we have a lot of people in the, uh, in the studio gallery. There's James Mello. There's James Ford. Uh, there's James Jordan. But I saw one in there that was just James and I didn't know if that was James Corbett or if we're going to continue to prepare for his presence. So let's see. Oh, it's it like Madonna. It's just James. <laughs> How, you How you doing, doing Mr. Corbett? <laughs> I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you, James. How are you doing? I am doing as well as can be expected, given the end of the world as we've known it. Oh, well, I have a piece of trivia to open this up because I recalled last time you were on the show, you compared uh, my attire to that of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> and my question is, since you live in Tomorrowland, where it is November 22nd, ah. back in 1963, there were three famous deaths that day. And I, mm. just gave you, I gave you a clue to one. Who were the other two? I did not know C.S. Lewis. I did know JFK and Aldous Huxley, but yes. I did not know C.S. Lewis. There you go. I built the answer into the question. Make it nice. easy. Uh, I, I specifically, uh, I invited you there tonight because I was watching a piece of the Tim cast and Tim got into it with Luke. And I thought, what a great opportunity. Because oftentimes when I watched, I've watched Tim cast probably since like 2016. And when he had his co-host, Adam, I always wished somebody who knew something like, you know, or maybe Luke Rudowski knows would get on the show and then Luke's a co-host. And then now you get to see them kind of air these these philosophical battles and they're coming from differing perspectives. And I thought that having you on it and playing that clip and us talking about it could really help the Grand Theft World audience and anyone else who sees this uh, to understand maybe some of the articles and elements and group theories and these sort of things that are in play. So it's not just a random bunch of billionaires doing bad things. There's more of a, conf a concert or symphony going on. Is that something? That's a very good analogy. Be up I'm on? all on board with that. Are we going to show the clip first? Yeah, LD, uh, do we have the clip? Because we excised it from the show, and then they also published. We can pull that up. Give me just today. one moment. Check yeah, we have it in there. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Yeah, in the meanwhile, check out CorbettReport.com. Um, yeah, so uh, do you want to play the clip in its entirety and then comment on it afterwards, or do you want to play the clip and stop it as you have a comment? Let's play it in its entirety first. All right, cool. So I will take some notes and you will keep on your end uh, yep. score and then yes. we can come together for a nice conversation. And that way everyone has a clip in its entirety uninterrupted so they can also formulate their own thoughts. Yeah. And did that buy you enough time, Lawrence, to find it? <laughs> Indeed it did. Here we go. I told you we were going to have Corbett on. I didn't tell you what we were doing. So that was a good audible. Thank you. There was a lot of setup here, especially by individuals like Bill Gates that no, wasn't just no, funneling dude. money into the mainstream media because he gave he gave hundreds of billions of dollars to the mainstream media. That's that buys correct. a lot of influence. He there's smart people who know what's going on. I just I'm so, I mean if if we could, it's, if, it's so annoying are, to do the cliche Bill Gates. No no no. It's important to mention here because this is a man that has far more influence than we even know about, and we already know 
hundreds of millions of dollars to the mainstream media on your report just give came me out. some evidence other than the guy says stupid things to the press he, uh, he doesn't say stupid things to the press he buys off the press NPR, he gave them 319 yep. million dollars to media outlets like cnn nbc npr the atlantic the bbc the guardian all are on his payroll all are on his paycheck so what does it and mean we talk about the way that he positions Dude. himself in society especially what does with, it mean what does it with mean the things like the what vaccine industry to explain ex explain to me beyond i saw a guy do a bunch of things that make me question him look i don't like the guy i think he's got weird weird views on the world i don't trust him i think he's a bad person i look at his history and how he started my, uh, microsoft and how he he, he he moved through silicon valley much like steve jobs also not a good guy but the problem i have with this like here's a guy who did a thing it's like yo what's happening in the world right now involves thousands of people we can talk about donald trump's role in 15 days to slow the spread but i, I don't think trump was a big player in exactly what was going on i think he got swept up in it we could talk about joe biden's attempted a vaccine mandate we could struck down and then Everyone's like, but 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 you know, Bill Gates. But Biden's but, not but, but, there. But, Biden is not a human being who's pay, who's not even consciously there. There's other people behind him. There's special interests behind him. There's major corporations I know. behind him. There's global. And we can talk him. about how it, Pfizer ha has been dumping money into these in these companies. Uh, into the media outlets sponsored by sponsored by Pfizer. getting right. getting and no why liability not? contracts why shouldn't we talk about them they're huge influence well, players well, there's the big issue, players the issue there's I puppets take and there's players is that people I want to talk about the players not the puppets they've always done this the Koch brothers are doing this and yeah. George Soros is doing that they are. Bill Gates is doing yeah, this not and they like, are. you want me to give you a list of the 2,000 billionaires who are all doing this look I get it it's frustrating for me because people talk about Bill Gates in some superficial manner. Like, did you know that he gave money to the media? What does that mean? Tell me what that means. I know he owns influence. The dude has had influence for decades. They all do. This one story does not say anything about the fact that it's we have one story corruption. after another story after another story. No, the man is literally trying to control the weather. It's his obsession. <laughs> he, I'm not. He's he's making GMO mosquitoes. If you think this You're person, no, I'm not. Yes, you no, are. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. You can I, name I'm George concerned. Soros. You can name George Soros no. and the DAs he's been funding. This is why what, what exactly. frustrates and me. And why about, shouldn't you? What, what, what frustrates frustrates me here is you get a story from June 2021 where uh, Barda, which is a bio research lab in the U.S., I believe through HHS, gets a, a weaponized smallpox a drug uh, approved. I believe it was approved, but I could be wrong about this. Bill Gates comes out and says, I'm worried about weaponized smallpox. And all of a sudden, the conspiracy realm lights up saying Bill Gates is doing whatever. And it's like, dude, he read the news. That's not what we said. I never said I anything about that. I didn't say you did. I'm yeah. saying the issue I take is. Yeah, there's I'm, other I'm, people that I take it too story. far. Of course. I, but, and, and so the issue I take is like, I've just had so many conversations about the obsession over Bill Gates. Yeah, I think it's a it's a red herring to go after the individuals, because like if you have a corrupt king that's terrorizing his subjects, you want to remove that king. You're going to get another king. And he may or may not terrorize. What you want to do is disrupt the monarchy and change the system so that there is no possibility for I, it. You mean I'm replace the puppets? So the puppets look all nice and so different that, and it's a red so puppet that, and a blue puppet? Uh, yeah, like, avoid no, that. And no, no, no. I want to get the puppeteer. Such, you want to fix the a, system a so that one guy can't become yeah, a multi-trillionaire. Right, right. listen, listen, maybe. Uh, here's the problem. Right now, we have a culture and culture is more powerful than politics and law. As I've mentioned numerous times, the easiest way to explain it is there's wacky laws in Massachusetts. You know, they have a law from the 1600s. You can't put a pie in your windowsill on Sunday afternoon because it attracts bears. And now no cop will enforce that. So when you get 100 million people and you're standing before them and they say, tell us 
what's happening? You say, this Bill Gates guy spent money in the press. They go, what am I supposed to do with that? No, I wouldn't or, say that. I would, no, stop. Yeah. Or you say, do not let the government put their boot on your neck. Do not let them mandate medical procedures. Influence the culture. I have never, never... I, I don't like I don't like doing these bits where it's like, did you know person X did X there, or did Y? You have all of these YouTubers who make videos about people, 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 and then regular people who are standing at ready saying, I want the world to be a better place for my kids. I want to make sure I have my freedoms and my liberties. What should I do? You should be met at Bill Gates. And they go, OK, I won't fight in any meaningful way for principles. I won't focus on, the, on, on what's happening in my community. I won't vote locally. I'll complain about Bill Gates. Then those people go out to rallies and they hold up big sign saying bill gates and then when regular people show up they go look at the crazy people mm. look at the crazy people no. so this is what frustrates me whenever it comes to the vaccine stuff everyone's like let's have a debate over science and we're not scientists and i'm like why why when we can just say we are advocates for freedom we are american citizens who know the history of this country and the founding fathers who said we demand freedom and respect and tell the people instead of trying to pretend to be a scientist who's going to argue about medical efficacy we can just say i reject your attempts to mandate a medical procedure on me the two are not exclusive you could have both and i don't just obsessively talk about bill gates i talk about him i talk about all the other very influential people who are doing that but i also talk about solutions i also talk about personal responsibility i also talk about the need for you to wake up from this trauma-based mind control and psychosis that people are going through by watching the mainstream media by watching what bill gates funds by watching what all these other individuals finance nobody in order to trick you and like i nobody think they do. i disagree with you i absolutely you live disagree in with you. world no I don't think I do, because if people actually do find out the reality of the true existence of this world, which many of them are right now, many people are waking up. When people see the true reality of it, they start understanding the players behind the scenes here. Then they could start implementing policies where they're not victimized by these players and their games that they play on we the rest of the population. Win. We don't get towards a we, convention of states, assuming that's what we want. We don't get towards a populist uprising because a bunch of people went outside complaining about Bill Gates. I'm not saying complaining about Bill Gates. I'm saying understand the problem and be able to diagnose it correctly without playing their games of here's right. a puppet you vote and for the, this puppet the, this puppet's going to make things better no 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 the there's issue bigger is, players behind the, the scenes issue and if you understand hold on i'm not done yet you're billionaire changes every week i let you talk i let you talk right your billionaire changes every week no it's I, pointless and you're i disagree like, Oh, it's I, I, I we, we go through the months and months of George Soros is the guy funding the DAs. Yeah, we do. We, we are not seeing parents rise up and revolt because they found out about Bill Gates. Mm. We're seeing we're seeing their children and their families being affected. They're seeing their culture be destroyed. And it's it's and it's, who's it's doing so that? common. Who's doing that? Who's responsible for, for all this? Who's, stuff who's doing all this bad stuff, Tim? It doesn't matter. It does. I think it's a result of the system. If you have a technocracy removing one technocrat, another one will fill the void. So we want to figure out a system. That's, that's a politician, Ian. Same with not politics. Same with their <laughs> politics. You remove not, one not president the, uh, and another upper one. echelon because there is an inner circle. That inner circle deserves to be addressed. We have different approaches. I think it's important along with going after the solutions, along with understanding the full problem that we're seeing in front of us to be able to fully just, to be able to fully deal with the problem the, you got to fully understand it and the, you can't and, just and be looking at the consequences have, you can't just be going after the side effects okay and the challenge we have is that none of this is relevant because what matters is culture culture building politics is down stop, downstream from culture and a bunch of people who have said i've identified a source of the problem and i, I believe it's bill gates are going to are going to convince no one and change nothing the truth but matters. you know what but you know what People want a symbol for their oppression. So they isolate 
they, a, an individual. For a long time, it was George Soros, and it still is. Now Bill Gates is filling that role. Every single story, every quote, every comment has brought up. And I'm just wondering, like, are we having a debate about this one guy we don't like? Are we going to talk about how we're going to influence the culture so that these, law, these laws can't exist? Well, the exist? culture is downstream from the technology that's basically functioning as a gatekeeping system, allowing what culture is seen where. And then you got to say, who built that centralized technology? And Bill did build some of it. But... A lot of people have built a lot of central and are in the process of building centralized uh, techn technology system. I think Allison McDowell is really a fascinating human being. I was. I, well, I would love to know. So, like some of these solutions, like I, I agree with what you're saying. When we, especially when we point at certain people, I want to know like what is the actionable step. So, when you're talking about solutions. I, wa I would love to hear some of what you think would actually be solutions for people in mass families or, or whatever, like at home, in the home solutions, and do any of them have to do with DMT? <laughs> <laughs> DMT is a personal decision that individuals should do their own research, their own homework on. We're all and on DMT, a, it, by and it's a, Yes, of course. So we all, we all go through it when we dream every single night. That's something that should be up to the individual to, to, to <laughs> lock up to. But, but again, I think understanding exactly what's going on is the first step towards dealing with the problem. Obviously, we have a very sick society. Obviously, we have a very corrupted society. Understanding how it's corrupted, who it's corrupted by, and how we cannot be corrupted by it, I think is the first step, whether it's uh, you know sc the school, the indoctrination centers, whether it's the medical centers that keep uh, charging people $30 for an aspirin that rob people of their wealth and health, whether it's the banking system, whether it's all the systems that are thrown and shoved down our throats every single day that are scams Ponzi schemes against the American people. We, when we are victims to it, when we are blind to it, we give all of our power to these individuals. And I'm saying these individuals are doing all this. I think that's an essential part to break it all down and to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I won't vote with my dollar at this particular business. Maybe I won't put my child in an indoctrination center. Maybe I will look into homeschooling. Maybe I won't depend on all my food from, you know, the, the, the Amazon or a Walmart. Maybe I'll start looking into farming. Maybe I'll start building a community of people that I could actually have a support system around me. And I think just acknowledging like, hey, there's some big bad people out there. Some of them are sociopaths. Understanding that reality and not blaming everything on on generalized topics like, like culture. Culture is absolutely important, but you build that culture from a sense of reality, not from a sense of, I just want this, let me go get this. This is why, you know, the freedom minded, uh, look, this, this, I used to work for a bunch of nonprofits. I used to uh, fundraise for Greenpeace. This was about for a month and a half. I worked for a couple, a, a couple really big national nonprofits, and I was a nation's best fundraiser. I was able to walk up to a random person on the street, make them hand over their credit card to me in 30 seconds. This is what the job is. You've seen them on the street. They say, hey, come over here and talk to me. And I will tell you the one thing that never convinces anybody is blaming a person they don't know. They're confused by it. How does that affect me? Who is this guy? What does he do? What does this mean? Bill Gates has 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 bought me in influence in the media. He's manipulative. He has these weird ideas and he's not a doctor. And they say, that's weird. What is it? How does how does what, what does he do? I don't understand. In order to give someone enough information to understand why Bill Gates is a bad person and why George Soros is a bad person and why these other billionaires, because there are many and many, many of them is a bad person. You'd have to put them in a school for years to really break down all this stuff. I disagree. And so what you end up having is you have a bunch of people who've been in this world for a really, really long time. They know uh, and they can easily recall the history of the, you know, how Microsoft came to be, how they got their first deals. They went and they bought it. 
the arguments between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, the things he did, they were very, very just dirty individuals. And I mean, like, like just willing to exploit and rip off and, 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 and corrupt. And we know these things. But then there's a guy who's a truck driver. And you go to him and you say, all of your problems stem from Bill Gates is a billionaire who does these things. And he's going to be like, look, guy, I have no idea how that's going to give me any information I need to get my kids food. But then we can bring it back to their world. We can speak to them on their terms and things they understand and say, hey, should you be forced to do X, Y, or Z by your government? And they'll say no. And it's like, this is the opening of the door. You say the things that directly affect you that are causing you problems can be solved if you wake up and start paying attention. But what we get a lot of is George Soros, the left has their Koch brothers, the left has their Mercers. And I've been in these activist groups and I've seen just how ineffective it is to to say a word that means nothing to somebody, a name that means nothing to somebody, but think you're, you're giving some great revelation. Joe Rogan just pointed out to Alex Jones when he was on the show on Tuesday that Alex has the problem of knowing. And so when he tries explaining to people and he says really like things that are so out there they don't understand, it actually makes them push away from you. You cannot walk up to a person who's never experienced and uh, who doesn't understand the nitty gritty of what's going on, immediately jump, crank up the dial to 11 and think they'll listen to you. We're not they doing won't. that. We're not jumping up to random people. We're having a talk show where we uh, delve deep into uh, complicated topics. The, the reason people listen to us is because it's an honest, real conversation that isn't afraid just to be on the surface level. We go deep down. And I think this is why this podcast is so special, because we could do that. And uh, I disagree with your characterization. We're, we're not talking to random people on the street here. We're talking to an informed public that is paying attention. And I don't think everything that happens in this world is a coincidence. I do think there's bad people out there. I do believe there is going to, to be really bad things that are going to continue continue to happen unless people realize that these people are actually doing it and i think that's also LD, a part of the deposit. solution as well as taking per all right so the clip that uh we had excised from the live show started a, a couple minutes earlier it essentially started with uh tim saying that he didn't believe in conspiracies and he's like i'm more a fan of Rahm Emanuel's never let a crisis go to waste and the first thing that occurred to me was Rahm Emanuel's brother, Ezekiel's this Rhodes Scholar, and part of this well-organized, orchestrated plan uh, to take America and make globalism uh, using America as the raw materials for it. Are they University of Chicago? Uh, I, I actually, uh, I think Rahm Emanuel, he was mayor of Chicago. I know he's mayor of Chicago, right. but I thought yeah. they might, maybe had some sort of Straussian connect. Sorry to cut you up there. But. Yeah, yeah, Strauss. We'll talk about neocons yeah. later. All right, so uh, James, uh, you have the floor. What are your thoughts on that, that that would help the audience understand the the evidence which exists and is easily available, and maybe even through some of your documentaries and such, there might be? Well, it, it's so funny that you've actually invited me on to talk about this, because I am either, depending on your perspective, the best situated person to comment on this or the least informed, because I will confess right up front that I am aware that there is a human being named Tim Poole, <laughs> but I know nothing about him. I have seen clips. People have sent me clips of his work before, but I do not follow it. And I have, I've just never gotten into Tim Poole's podcast. So I don't know anything about this guy or where he's coming from or his worldview in general. But I, and so I, I like to think that makes me objective about what we're looking at in this particular clip. And I'm gonna go perhaps in a different direction than you might expect. I'm going to largely defend what Tim Pool is saying here. I, 
here's the thing. I don't even think of this necessarily as a debate, at least not in the sense of arguing about reality. This is arguing about strategies. Uh, fundamentally, that's what I see taking place here is an argument about strategies for getting people activated on certain issues. And in that strategy debate, yeah, of course, there are going to be differing opinions and you should do this, you should do that. I, 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 it's just who I am. I don't sit here generally trying to strategize or at least telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing in terms of strategies, because it is my genuinely held belief that everyone has their own approach to understanding information, internalizing information, processing information, and giving that information out to others. And I, I, I it's kind of this utopian idea of humanity that there's one way to do it and only one way to talk to other people. And that's the way that will magically make everything better and everyone will unlock their minds and it'll be perfect. Of course not. No. Some people will listen to someone like Luke Krakowski talking about and documenting, yeah, $319 million in over 30,000 grants in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation database, $319 million documentably going to buy media publicity for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and its projects and its overall goals, shaping the entire coverage of the entire global health space seems like a pretty important point if you're looking at, okay, well, where did all of this information and messaging on global health come from? You might want to know about something like that so you can at least be switched on to how this works and operates. That's, that's the way my mind works. But I know there are people out there who will, as Tim Pool say, says, uh, you know, this is not going to resonate with them. They're going to say, so what? Bill Gates is buying publicity. Everyone buys publicity if they can, whatever. Who cares? How does this affect me? Okay, there are people like that who won't care about Bill Gates or his machinations. So the point uh, I think is this is this is a strategic thing and the Tim Pools of the world might be put off by people talking about that level of detail and the Luke Krakowskis of the world might be interested and activated precisely because of those self same details. So who am I to come here and say you should talk about this or you shouldn't talk about this or you should talk about it in this way. I, I honestly, I, I keep going back to this point. You have to honestly uh, reflect who you are and, and what you believe about the world, the way you see it. You have to express that and know that it will turn off some people and it will turn on other people. And you have no control over that and you never will. But if you're just authentically expressing your viewpoint, you will uh, naturally reach out to the people who resonate with that viewpoint. So that's my that's my big picture look at what they're talking about here. But if we want to get into the specifics of Bill Gates in particular, I will go back to what I said towards the very end of my two hour who is four part who is Bill Gates documentary that I made last year. If people haven't checked it out, CorbettReport.com slash Gates, the entire two hour documentary transcript, hyperlink transcript, all of it there, audio video. If you are the type of person like a Luke Rakowski who finds this information important and valuable, and it's good to get this information so that you can better understand the world that we're living in, so that you can better understand how to achieve your goals, then look towards the very end of that documentary where I, I lay out the evidence. I Obviously, I can't see into the hearts and minds of men. I can't prove anything, but I lay out the abundant amount of evidence that Bill Gates is a eugenicist. And then I 
conclude by saying, but if the answer to the question, who is Bill Gates, is Bill Gates is a eugenicist, that tells us some important things about the world that we're living in. It tells us that Gates is deceiving the public into supporting his takeover of the world with a false front of philanthropy. It tells us that the goal of the Gates, like the goal of the Rockefellers before them, is not to improve the world for humankind, but to improve the world for their kind. And most importantly, it tells us that Bill Gates is no comic book supervillain single-handedly directing all the chaos that is unfolding in the world or single-handedly bringing his own order to that chaos. No, if Bill Gates is a eugenicist driven by a belief in the superiority of himself and his fellow wealthy elitists, then what we are facing is not one man or even one family, but an ideology. And I think that gets us to the exact point that I think Tim Pool is starting from. He's saying, ah, whatever, Bill Gates, Schmates, whatever, all that machinations and all of the two hours of documented detail you've got in that documentary, who cares? The point is, we want this ideology instead of that ideology. So if you're starting at that point, all right, congratulations, great, we're together. I have no, I have no qualm with you. I'm not going to argue with uh, Tim Pool's of the world about that point. Great, we agree. So now, what kind of world do we want to bring about? And how do we bring that about? And since that is a point that I've tried to stress in my work over the years, but I've always noted that it, it keeps coming up and people keep saying, but yeah, you only talk about problems, James, where are the solutions? So that's why I explicitly created Solutions Watch this year. So every single week, week in and week out, looking specifically, not at the problem, but at the solution, directing our energy and attentions that way so that, yes, okay, great. Uh, my audience who's been following me for 14 years is largely informed on a lot of the conspiracy sort of stuff. But how do we apply that? What do we do with that knowledge? And anyone who's there to join me in that, whether they agree or disagree with my crazy conspiracy nonsense on any other subject, I don't care. I just want to have community with people who have a similar idea for building a world that we want to see. And however you get there is how you get there. Well, your solutions watch has been very uh, important and it's been potent and it's a variety. And some of the stuff really caught me like, Oh yeah, that, and I've seen friends of mine, I've been introduced to new, new people I want to be friends with because they have cool ideas. Luke also fo uh, focuses on solutions too. So it's not just telling people about the problems. It's at the same time, we have to enact the solutions. Right, but we also need to understand the historical context that drives the daily current events. And without that, we're left to believe that, oh, it's just incompetency or it's just accidental or it's yes. just coincidental. Right. And without the overarching meta history and the patterns of participation, working groups, documents, evidence, artifacts that point toward a well-coordinated plan for globalism, David Rockefeller's admission to it in his memoirs, all these driving pieces of evidence those also need to be on the radar because they exist. They're real. Yes. That to me was the most compelling argument that, that Luke Rakowski was making in that clip was that we cannot really truly confront the question of how to, how to uh, actually confront this problem unless we have a real understanding of the problem. Because the, yes, as I say, if you're on board and you want this to move forward and create a better world, then yes, let's join forces and do that. But if your vision of that is, it doesn't matter about the details, details, shmeetails, you know, it's just freedom and that's what I want. Okay, great. But 
then you are more likely, I would think, to fall for the first person to promise you that vision. Oh, yeah, freedom. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to vote for me, guys. It'll all turn out well. If you do not understand the problem in its depth and start to really understand the power structure that exists so that you understand, for example, that the politicians are the shadows on Plato's cave wall that are not affecting anything of substance, that they those shadows are being cast by people that you don't even necessarily see who are sitting behind you. And unless you start to understand that structure, you might fall for the next shadow cave play, cave shadow play. You know what I mean? Um, so, so we, yes, it is important to have that level of understanding so that we can actually build something meaningful rather than simply um, taking part in, in a preordained uh, script that has been written for us that gives us the illusion, the simulacrum, if you will, of real attainment. Oh, we've done something. We, you know, we voted out Biden. And now the next puppet can take over the, this, the stage play. No, no, no. We have to understand the problem so that we can get to the solution. And I'm glad that Luke uh, stressed that. Well, yeah. And then go ahead, Tony. I was going to say, you know, Tim Pool actually exposed that about the human condition, right? He said in 30 seconds or a minute, I had people giving me my credit card. Well, that says something about the way people can be very easily influenced with XYZ ideology. And I think that's important to sort of point out, you know, I have this big question mark here on my... Uh, no card I took here. Who influences the culture? In other words, how do these mega elite billionaires do it? We have to understand the methodology to sort of backwards engineer how best to then influence certain people. And I, I teach the trivium and logic a lot of times. And when, when we get to classical rhetoric, you said something very potent, uh, James, about you have to know your audience. Who are you speaking to? If we come in, if Rich and I or yourself come in and we, we names, dates, facts, uh, that are so outside the context of the average person. I, I used to get in debates with a, a colleague of ours, Brett Vinod, about this. And it's like, you guys need to go talk about the av talk to the average man on the street. He'd oftentimes say to us, because they're so far removed from the context you guys are bringing forward. And it's an important element within uh, rhetoric and just, you know, understanding like you have to approach people where they're at first and foremost and, and know the most effective strategy to your point that needs to be employed in those moments. But employing that strategy oftentimes requires us to actually do that deep dive research and to understand, well, how are they affecting people in mass like this to create these false ideologies, these false beliefs that are influencing the culture? Tim Pool kept saying culture, culture, culture. How are they influencing the culture so effectively? You know, mm -hmm. and, that, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's just something we have. Tavistock to sort of and uh, Yale Institute of Human Relations and uh, frustration, aggression theory. Oh, yeah. And right. uh, Milgram experiment, Stanford prison experiment. These are kind of their guidelines and their tests for what they can put us through and, and, and keep people up with. Um, Absolutely. Such an yeah. important point. And uh, in fact, uh, that was to me, per perhaps the most uh, impressive point in the whole conversation was. And uh, sorry, my ignorance here again. The dude in the glasses with the long hair, I don't know who that That's was, Ian. but yeah. I always forget his he, name too, don't worry. He blew my mind shortly before in that conversation when he said, what's a smart grid? I was like, oh my God, dude, this guy doesn't, yeah, not yet, know. but he will. But he said technocracy and he's almost there to understand yes, what's going exactly. on. And then globalism and he proves said, itself. He said, because Tim was saying the oft quoted thing that culture, uh, that politics is downstream from culture, that we have to influence the culture. Okay, great. But then that guy said, but culture is downstream from technology. 
right. such an important point. That's yes. uh, ding, 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 ding. Yes. How do they influence the culture? Well, one way would be to get us to all live in this mediated reality where 95% or 99% of whatever it is we know about the world is coming through screens like a on a daily reality. basis. And then you control what's on the screens. Bing! You've just controlled society. And how are you going to fight against that? And if I'm being cynical, and again, I do not see into the hearts and minds of men, and I'm not making any aspersions here, but if I was being cynical, I could say, Tim Pool is saying, stop with that Bill Gates stuff because he wants to protect his YouTube channel. Right. You know, if you square, if you go too far towards that and you start saying the V word and other such things, you're going to get struck from YouTube. So in order to protect his channel, he might seem a little defensive on issues like that. It might not even be a conscious thing, but just a sort of subconscious thing. Right. How do you influence culture if you cannot say vaccines, the vaccines that are being thrust on us Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, adverse effects? If we can't say that then they have already won the game. Yeah. And then at one point in the later in that clip, Lydia had mentioned, it's not about the people. It's about the, the groups uh, or the, it's not about the people. It's about the ide- ideologies and philosophies. But what happens when those people who hold the philosophies have groups and then make plans for other people's lives? Well, where do ideologies come from, from people, ideologies or ideas that they, they hold up as being the, the first principle from which they did then deduce all the subsequent outcomes of the way in which they believe the world should operate. Right. So, I mean, that's sort of, there, there's a lot of just misunderstanding. There's a lot of loss in communication and misunderstanding between both Ian and no, Ian, well, Luke and Tim when it comes to, but ironically to your yeah, point, there's entropy I think, there. Ian, I, Ian I, I said actually, I think a, the most, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I found it to be such a, like a inspiring and invigorating exchange of parhesia that I can agree with almost everything Tim's saying. And I agree with everything that Luke was saying. And I also see that there's a gap to, to be bridged yet to really get that coherent understanding. And that several of them on that crew are pretty close to seeing like that, which exists. Luke knows this because he went and stuck a camera in Rothschild's face and Rockefeller's face and all these people's faces back in the day. So like he's coming from guerrilla journalism and he taught guerrilla journalism. He still his course is free if you join his membership. So those are solutions, teaching other people how to do likewise. So these things are real. And to to bring out the artifacts and evidence is an educational process. Tim's right. He said something to the effect of it would take, you know, you have to take a class to learn all that. Yeah, you kind of do. Kind of do need to level up through reading books. Like James has books behind him. And from those books and what he learns, he makes media that educates other people in future generations. What's the latest yeah. project, James? And my mind keeps going back to the question of media because maybe I'm biased because I just taught my course at Renegade University. And it's one of those things where I have all the information, but once I actually put it together into a course and then teach it a six, seven hours of lectures that I did over the course of three weeks on the subject of media, I start to even appreciate it even more myself just how fundamentally important it is that we have come from a universe where. 500 years ago, before the uh, invention of the uh, the movable type printing press, 550 years ago, um, the the average person's experience of the world was almost entirely actually experiential. You were having real conversations with real people who were around you and who were relating information that directly affected you or your life or the very least you could directly relate to and apply to your own situation. We are now in almost the exact opposite situation where almost none of our 
understanding of the wider world comes from actual ex experience. It comes from screens and books and whatever, which is the mediation between ourselves and reality. And that lends itself to a system where the people who can control that media can thereby control our lives and society in general. And it's even worse than that when you really start to get into it, because there is something to the McLuhan's and the Baudrillard's and other people who warned that the media, it's not like it's some sort of neutral tool that we use and we can use to say this or we can use to get, get, get this information out there. It is a thing that is using us and it is shaping our view of reality into itself. We can only think in terms that the media provides to us. So if we are watching TV, we can only understand things in an audiovisual sense, things that are presented and understandable in that form. And as, for example, Neil Postman, of course, points out in uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, when we are sitting there and educating ourselves through a medium like television, we are only able to understand information that is presented in that form. So the idea of stopping, deliberating, arguing with yourself, uh, trying to wrap your head around non-visualizable concepts and uh, morality and things like this, that doesn't play on TV. You can't teach that through the medium of TV. So those sorts of aspects of our understanding and education get eliminated from the curriculum, essentially, the curriculum as presented through that medium. And now we're about to step into the metaverse, brought to you by such loving billionaires as Mark Zuckerberg. And I guess we could get into the sort of the biographical details of Zuckerberg and blah, 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 and his history and the Tim Pools of the world would go, shut up, conspiracy theorist. OK, well, at any rate, the, the, the metaverse and what that represents in terms of uh, the, the mediation of our reality to the point where real and media and it just blends to the point where we cannot differentiate the two that is coming and they are trying to bring that about and what that means what that spells for the end of human experience as we have known it is i i struggle to find a way to articulate this but this is where my mind is at right now and that's why without understanding the problem yeah i think we cannot understand the solution. And uh, Tony, you made an excellent point there about, yeah, you've got to know your audience and the people who are best at selling to a certain crowd can convince you to go along with certain things that can apply against us. You might think, oh, I'm the best salesman and I can manipulate people, but we're all vulnerable to that. Well, and if we don't understand the problem, we're going to be manipulated by that. Well, it shows us something about ourselves, right? The way in which we take in information, the way in which we experience information and dialogue between individuals, like that interaction, that 30 second or minute or two minute long interaction that Tim Pool is having with people shows how quickly people want to be sold to mm. certain ideas or other things like that. It's, 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 and this is the interesting aspect when you bring technology into the equation, because then you have to, you have to talk about these sort of ideas of cybernetics and closed system feedback loops, because that's, you're talking about the medium is the message. That's exactly right. And you also brought up an incredibly important and poignant point. I think that was sort of, sort of got uh, not downplayed, but might've gotten mixed up a little bit with ethical exposure. Like we, I think I was listening to a Peterson argument where he was saying something to the effect that we develop an ethical understanding of our society by interacting with other people. I think this comes from John Piaget, I believe. And so it, we, we, it's sort of an intrinsic argument for the development of natural morals that are just built into the human structure. But we do it by play, by interacting with other people, especially early on. 
what happens when you remove that and you put everything between us, like I put a sort of intermediary between that, which is the screen and now soon to be the Zuckerberg sponsored metaverse, uh, both really funded and sponsored by DARPA, but we'll get to that later. You know, so it's just, we look at all the connections, but still that's incredibly poignant because what sort of effect is that going to have on the human condition? Because we have these incredible philosophies, moral philosophies, ethical philosophies, these metaphysical and epistemological, like the, there's a long history, you know, multi multi-millennial long history of developing philosophies that have to deal with how men should act in the world. And now we're putting something that's going to like a, what the post-human sort of perspective on how people interact that's, with other individuals. That's, that's it. That's- yes, exactly. Post-human. Because in a sense, what we think of as morality comes from that sense that, yes, this is about navigating our relationships with other human beings. And now we're increasingly in a world where we're not navigating relationships with other human beings. We are navigating relationships with avatars online. And that gives rise to a very different sense of morality, as pointed out by uh, Jerron Lanier in uh, 10 Reasons You Should Quit Social Media Right Now, whatever that book is called, um, where I have my disagreements with uh, uh, Lanier on a number of things. But he he gets it right when he says social media is turning you into an asshole. Or perhaps it's better to say it's bringing out your inner asshole because it enables a certain type of dialogue that would not really happen in real life, but almost inevitably happens online. And it is one thing, I guess, to say to the youth of today, you know, that's not real morality. The the way you see people interacting online isn't real morality. You, You know, you should be more like this. It's one thing, I guess, to say that to them. But if they spend most of their lives online in that space, that is the way you interact in that space. And you can try to argue against it, but I think that's the medium is the message. I think you you can't argue against the medium. It is dictating that version of morality. I see it real time. I I participate in gaming groups online just as a hobby, and it's a completely different ethic that emerges. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very different type of way in which you would interact in the world with other human beings. They would never do this. This is only possible because of uh, Marshall McLuhan. Macy conferences, cybernetics, game theory, von Neumann, all these other people that went into gamifying culture and our our advantage is they can't figure out freedom because they're not freedom oriented. And yet they keep trying to make ways to control freedom. And I would argue that's hard to do if you don't understand freedom. If you understood freedom, you wouldn't be trying to capture and control and erode it. So that's our like built in advantage. And to the point of uh, the the salesperson being able to approach somebody and do that thing, I just taught the students today about uh, Darren Brown and the Russian scam and these types of uh, pattern interrupts that people can do because I wanted to warn the students so they had intellectual self-defense and it's antithetical to how I teach them to do sales. So when Tim said that, that's like something, he, that's not sales. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not sales. Sales is the art of problem solving for people that he wasn't solving people's problems that he was. That's ethics right. applied to sales. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. 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 What, what's the Russian scam? Uh, the Russian scam is uh, you can find it on YouTube, but he walks up to a guy. He asks uh, for directions, does a handshake, asks him to hold the uh, water bottle and says, uh, watch wallet. The guy gives it over willingly because he's he had the pattern interrupt of the water of the handshake interrupted. And so when Darren asks him, will you hold my water bottle? That guy is in a yes mode. So anything else, he's overwhelmed. So his brain is just saying yes to whatever Darren says. He walks away, discovers, oh, I lost my watch and wallet, goes back to Darren. Darren gives him back, does the same thing to him. So he did it twice in like a minute. So Mm -hmm. it just shows unless you have intellectual self-defense up and you put the guard up and start asking questions, you can be kind of rapidly programmed. And that's the opposite. 
Well, they, I didn't realize that was called the Russian scheme. I think that's how it's listed on there. Right. That's the name of the okay. video. Back in yeah. The I'm definitely familiar with Darren Brown and his, his work. Yeah, extremely important stuff. Yeah. Total side note, but by the way, you remember Darren Brown uh, did that special on assassinations, or I can't remember what it was called, but he uh, programmed someone to yes. kill. Yes, uh, I do remember. What's his yeah. name? That famous uh, British guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, in a, in a Sirhan Sirhan like thing where he sees the polka dot dress and he goes, anyway, Sirhan Sirhan is at the moment maybe going to be out on parole in the next coming days. So anyway, just side yeah. note, <laughs> sorry. And anyone who has questions about Sirhan Sirhan, uh, check out Benny Wills's. He did a reading of Sirhan Sirhan's uh, letters or something like that. It's a really interesting perspective that he laid out. And I was glad that Benny took the time to read that. All right. So the other note I had here is um, their plans for humanity is uh, transhumanism, cybernetics applied to control people to make them slaves. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's like, you can go read their books on it. Uh, I would cite a 1996 book called Beyond Humanity, Cyber Evolution and Future Minds by Earl Cox and Paul Davids, maybe. was it? So there are books out there that have pointed toward, they want to merge human beings with silicon, biological computing. It's the evolution in, in culmination of eugenics to have command and control over human beings and play God. I will point people to the Policy Horizons Canada document from last year exploring biodigital convergence, which um, I, I think they intended to just be a sort of, hey, this is what the future can be like, guys. And there may be some bad parts to it, but look, there's some cool stuff, too. Um, but it, I defy you to read that without being utterly creeped out by it. I don't know. Personally, I find it to be absolutely horrific where they're it's talking terrifying. about the surveillance bug bots that will be flying around your apartment. That's DARPA. They have. Yeah. Nano insects. Yeah, Yep. exactly. Uh, when your children's teeth fall out, you don't take them for the tooth fairy. No, the the drone surveillance bot will come and pick it up and examine it for epigenetic markers of disease. And if you participate in such a system, you'll get a little health rebate. So, you you, you know, you can win money by in, engaging carbon in, this stuff, credits sort of stuff. in the future. Or something They'll like bring that you nature. a food pack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one document here I wanted to show you, James, because I haven't shown anyone this because I just printed it and read it. Let's see if it does it here. This is the Club of Rome, predicament of mankind, <laughs> quest for structured responses to glow, a growing worldwide complexities and uncertainties from 1970. This is a proposal from the Club of Rome. Have you ever seen this piece of evidence? I have not, no. All right, this is cool. Let me put my spectacles on. We go to the table of contents. I got a couple selected readings here we can do. Uh, the problematique, an overview of the situation. Then they make a proposal. And then they have an idea for a world forum, which I showed you last time. The Club of Rome was instrumental in the Davos Manifesto to kick off the World Economic Forum. So this is the planning document, which brought forward the WEC, which now is the COVID-19 Great Reset crew that's running the whole show. So understanding Club of Rome, and uh, Aurelio Pache and these sort of guys in history might be uh, hi history that is uh, uh, substantial. Now, I, I like this one part in the document when they described who they are. So here, the Club of Rome. It starts here. I don't want to read from the top, but it's an informal, non-political, multinational group of scientists, intellectuals, educators, and business leaders deeply concerned with the situation just sketched, among whom have decided to face issues that confront mankind in a way which offers the hope of reaching a new level of understanding and therefore successful action. Uh, they are further convinced that a group, 
of private persons who, while concerned, are nevertheless free from the responsibility of day-to-day political decision and who, as individuals, have no political ambition except the good of mankind and its survival can contribute in this way to the work of those who are responsible for leadership and action. Now, the main essences of the problematique as uh, personified here by the Club of Rome is that the problem is systemic and it involves the whole planet. Overpopulation, poverty, pollution, etc., cetera, uh, arise from confused and obscure consequences. And they're trying to say this is so complex, only they can solve it. And if they don't make a plan for the future, we will be left to react to the future. And then there was something else here. Was that that was page ten? So I'd be happy to get a copy. Well, something at the this. bottom there. Fundamental changes. Uh, sorry. Interesting. Oh, I just uh, I, this was the part. Okay. This is from page ten, uh, number five. To persuade governments to convene a world forum. There's a hashtag there for further information regarding this point. Please see Annex Two. Oh, I will. I will. Uh, world forum with whose consent, support, and encouragement an intensive dialogue concerning the findings of the project will be initiated to end uh, to the end that a much larger and deeper effort could be undertaken. Such an effort would aim at developing the needed operational macro models conducive to endeavors at integrated policy planning and to the development of new institutions like the World Economic Forum within whose frame of competence such work could be carried out. Thus, on the international levels, uh, such bodies as NATO or the OECD are now undertaking detailed work on many individual issues, while the United Nations is planning a world conference on the environment problems in 1972. This is the beginning of the green agenda. This is the beginning of Agenda 21. This is the United Nations working alongside this other working group. I mean, it's like these working groups are working on something almost as if there's an agenda or some sort of thing being carried out, but you can't see it directly from this document, but it is an interesting. Well, they, they just stated right there, they need a new body to emerge. It's sort of the working branch. And all of a sudden, then what you have the world economic forum a couple of decades later to sort of be the front men for this new uh, visionary world of the future. And interestingly enough, I just want to get this on the record while, while we have James, you have this whole new, new talking point of the great narrative. Yep. I don't know if you've seen yep. that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I have. Yep. And I hope I will be talking to Derek about that in the future. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing some work on that, specifically with regards to Solutions Watch, because this is a point that I've tried to make before, but I, I haven't stressed it enough. The key to this, I think in a sense, maybe I'm echoing what Tim Pool was gesturing towards there. The key to this is to stop following the narratives that are being set for us and start creating our narrative. And people don't understand. And and that was actually the best piece of feedback. I got a lot of good feedback from that course I just taught on on media history. Um, But the best piece of feedback I got was, you know, I've thought about this before and I've read some of these sources, but I've never really, it's never really struck me just how important the story, the stories that we're being fed is to our understanding of the world and to everything that that makes us who we are and what we're going to do in the world. When we start creating our own narratives rather than simply accepting the ones that are given to us. I think that's when we start to build real autonomy. And I think that makes Tim's point at the end when he's talking about like, how do you get the average truck driver to understand this? It's it's because we, we gave them a, a clearer, simpler, more truthful narrative than that, which they had to be indoctrinated into believing over a long period of time. Little productions like yours, James can set minds free world war one conspiracy, uh, you know, a big oil, 
who created it. Like oh, the whole thing is right there. And when you watch all of your documentaries, you start to see repeating tones of it's a finite planet. There's only so many families invested up to their eyeballs in globalism and anti-Americanism, because that's really what it is. I'm not saying it's against the law. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy because that's the definition, uh, definition of conspiracy. These people breathing together to break the law. I am saying it's anti-American. I am saying it's anti-freedom. It's anti-liberty. It's anti-human. And we should keep it. We should keep track of these people by reading the artifacts that they leave behind and continuing to see that they're shaping a problem in which we are the enemy. We as humanity. They say yeah. Speaking of Club of Rome, right. yeah, that's yeah. exactly what yeah. they said, right? First right. global revolution. Well, it makes your his uh, do, James your documentary so powerful as you do you you build out a narrative. What was the one you recently did about Trump? Um, we showed it on the intermission. It was uh, a brief history of opium. Yes. Yes. A brief opium. That's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. Because again, then you build out these various narratives. I think it's important when I taught, when I teach trivia and philosophy, one of the, the beginning mode of cognition for mankind was storytelling. Everything was analogical. We, we described everything to a likeness, whether it's the, the natural phenomenon we witness, and then we anthropomorphize or personify. That is still the most fundamental way we take in information. So being able to tell our own stories about the future that we want to have or the future we want to build with other individuals that share a sort of common vision is extremely important because otherwise they're telling us a very different story and they're enacting that and they're, bringing, they're manifesting that reality if we're not aware of it. So. 100% yes. And that's why I don't take it lightly. People who are out there putting this in some sort of creative format, artists, uh, musicians, painters, writers, whatever it is that are putting this information, embedding it in story is so incredibly important and powerful. And I yes. think underrated in terms of its power. I mean, some core concepts, I find myself continually going back to certain stories that essentially were seeded into me as a youngster, whether that be Lord me of the too. Rings or whatever. If yes. that's the way you conceptualize and understand the danger of, of power and political power over other people, it's the ring. And if you touch it, it will corrupt you. You have to cast it into the fires of Mordor and get rid of it once and for all. Hey, that's a that's a great way of understanding that on a more visceral level than any simple sober explanation can do. I do the sort of documentary explorations, but I do not discount the people who do, you know, narrative forms of putting this information in other ways. The that's way you why, do documentaries is like very Tolkien narrative for this interview. <laughs> no, I was just being facetious. Go ahead, please, with your serious comment, Tony. No, no, go, go for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, James, you got you got your setup over there with Thaddeus Russell at Renegade University. I, this is the first I've heard about it, so pitch me your course. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just did a three-part course for Renegade University on mass media history, which ran from the Gutenberg Revolution, which uh, I point out is the Gutenberg Conspiracy. If you're interested in that, you can find out more in that course and it runs uh, all the way up to the metaverse and what's coming next and so it was the first three mondays in november but it is up there on renegade university you can now uh stream it um can't participate live anymore but it's uh, it's up there and uh i hope people will check it out i know it sounds like it could be could be boring or uh, you know whatever mass media history but as i say it's the kind of thing where until you sit down and really really start to examine it, you cannot appreciate just how important mediated reality has become for us and how much more important it will be in the future. And in that third class, I, I show a little clip about hyper-reality um, that really demonstrates what this what this metaverse will look and feel like, where the normal real world, as we are used to seeing it, will 
not be there anymore. It will be all of the Google ads and gadgets and advertisements and search bars and people trying to tell you things and you can search, you know, whatever you can do everything in your, whatever that will be probably some sort of goggle type device at first, but eventually, Hey, just get the brain chip. You know, it'll be a lot easier to interface with re- reality. Spot the spoiler that's in uh, shaping of the, no, the fourth industrial revolution by Klaus Schwab. That's in the appendix cut to the end. It's brain chip implantable technologies. Yeah. That's yep. it. Again, yeah, exactly. This is not, for the Tim Pools of the world, this is not conspiracy theorizing. No, we're just reading reading their their books. Yeah, that's it. We're just reading what they're saying. (laughs) All right, that's fantastic. We're going to put a link to your course in there. It's not going to be boring. Even if it was, the information is nutritious and uh, and healthy, and I've learned to take in dry information. And it's half as long as Aaron and Melissa Dykes' new document (laughs) in the Federal Reserve. So it's like yeah. easy peasy. Let's, let's get that in there. So uh, I'm going to go through that course. I'm excited to check it out. And I'm proud of you for getting that out there. So more people can learn how to be like James Corbett. Yes. You know? And uh, that, uh, sorry, that just sparked something that I wanted to say for a second, but I am totally going to forget what that was. Let me, wow. let me well, that in the interim, real quick, I'll just, you talked about mediated reality. You know, I'm trying to build out an intermission for next week. It'll be, we'll call it like a Thanksgiving special or something like that, where I'm going to take elements of like the net, that German documentary came out uh, years das ago. DasNet, yeah. Yeah, of course. And all watched over by machines, loving grace, the use and abuse of vegetational concepts, part two, um, elements of Jay Forrester, um, you know, and try to combine it Pete together. Now, our- did, did a five part reading of Ted K. A couple in the last couple weeks, live readings. Oh, interesting. Of, I'll yeah, check so that, that out. So that might go too. in there too. And then elements of, you know, limits to growth because it all ties into the club of Rome and all. They're all singing on the same song sheet. That's right. Point. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but it's interesting, you know, if it, trying to build it out in a sort of narrative structure insofar as like for an audience, that's already pretty aware. Right. Yeah, but it's interesting because you have, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I remembered that point that I was going to make was that earlier I alluded to the fact that, uh, you know, I know all this media stuff and I've read all these books, but it wasn't until I sat down and made the course and shaped it out. And here's the story. And this happens and this happens and this and really laid it out that I could see for myself just the sort of the the bigger picture of this and how important it all was. And I think there's an important clue in there for anyone who's interested that when we start to take what we know in some abstract sense and actually start to put it into some sort of narrative so that you could teach it to others, for example, or teach it to yourself. Um, that's when we start to really understand. And of course, I, I know as, as a logic professor, someone who works at the Trivium Quadrivium, I'm sure you know all of this, but it is important for people to really understand that, that you probably know more than you think you know. It's just that you have to find a way to encapsulate that in a narrative that you could then explain to others and thereby explain to yourself that you really understand what you know. What's that old cliche? Um, uh, to, in order to know, teach or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah so because it forces you to right. find out what you don't know during Make that your, process of making yeah. the presentation and the patterns yeah. become more conspicuous, but go ahead. And the other thing is James, you just helped me with my homework. I'm working on an article for Ernie Hancock for the freedoms Phoenix mm. uh, newspaper. And I got 13 solutions I'm pitching as like the autonomy or Agora, which is like a Christmas catalog for freedom. Mm. You were in position one and I didn't have like a thing for you that I could help you promote. And now I have that Renegade University link. I'll plug that in. 
I got Benny's course in there, Howard's course. There's a whole bunch of people. So I'm glad. Welcome to the party. And awesome. uh, I've got <laughs> emails from Thaddeus from back in September. I never wrote back to him. So uh, good for you for getting started. And I'm happy to help uh, promote it. And I'm looking forward to taking it. And I can just be a fanboy real quick. I still think I have your 2009 video archives. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've, if I oh, yeah. reached at the last second, it's like, oh, we're having corporate on. I'm like, oh, are you serious? Because I would have ran to my library. <laughs> he wants an autograph. Can you give him digital so, autograph? Yeah, I was give like, a... yeah, this is a uh, monument. Let me just sign it on the uh, screen here. <laughs> but uh, media, no, that is and old it, school. That's a collector's yeah. item at this point. So I still you don't have want it. 10 NFTs from Corbett. So. <laughs> I just appreciate your work um, uh, for the past well, well over a decade now. Uh, we've been following you, and I've you know been uh, supporting your work and just incredible. So this they get that you know, one second, ten seconds of fanboy out of me. So good hey, I appreciate what you've done, and the, you know. I, I do this for many reasons, one of which is just to teach myself what I, I suppose I know. <laughs> but another reason is to reach out there and hopefully put stuff that is usable. And that's what I want the Corporate Report to be. I want it to be a resource for people who want to know more about these subjects, the Luke Krakowskis of the world and others who are on that side of the, the spectrum, who want to know more details. That's what the Corporate Report is. It's even handy sometimes when I'm doing research and I'm like, uh, I think I know there's a document on that. What is it? And I'll search it on my own website because that's, you know, that's what it's for. Well, before that, Whitney Webb existed, it was Corbett. Yeah, right. I mean, it was free. I would go to, you were the key investigative journalist I would go to that objectively where it was able to lay out all the information in a very consumable fashion that wasn't the Alex Jones hyperbolic, you know, very emotional tirades, you know, that sort of thing. It was just, it was perfect. And I greatly appreciate, um, cause that really helped me internalize awesome. that information, especially when I was younger and a little bit more all over the place. We'll just mm, say. Yeah. Or it's trying to yeah, Corbett provides a good rudder. Keeps <laughs> people going in the light direction. James, thank you for uh, this hour invested in time. Uh, happy holidays to you and your family. Please. It's not Thanksgiving website. in Japan, but I'll take it. I You'll appreciate take it, it. Right. I figured you would. And uh, CorbettReport.com, as always, is the best place for the open source intelligence news that you offer. We got it up there on the screen. We'll put it in the show notes. You are free to do the rest of your day's work, sir. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you, Rich. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Tony. Take care. Yeah, nice to meet you too, James. Thank you. All right, now we continue with tonight's show. You guys got to look at that. I want one more thing. I got to show you from that limits to growth because, you know, I showed you in the 1970 document. That's pretty invigorating that they wanted to have a plan. Well, then they came out with uh, Agenda 21. This is the United Nations Earth Summit strategy from the early 90s. There's limits to growth, and I believe it's in this limits to growth book. If I find the page marked properly or not. There was a section called, well, I'll find it during the next clip. I'll leave you in suspense <clears throat> because it's where they talk about humanity being the problem for humanity is humanity. They, they just basically state it out loud. Oh, I can, I um, mean, I have a clip. Well, let's be more effective. We actually do from the book. I have a picture of someone who sent me that section from the book. I could bring up real quick, but yeah, um, I actually, I, I think we mentioned that last time we talked to Corbett last year. That, I mean, that here, I'll just, topic, I'll bring it up real quick. I'm, and, I'm embarrassed that I've lost my page marker. Oh, you're good. Uh, luckily, we had, I believe it was Chris McMillan. Yes, like, he preserved it here. So let me oh, just I was bring it up. Book. I got it. I got it. Okay. It's the first, so Limits to Growth, Revisited, Limits to Growth was the original. The first global revolution, a report uh, by the Club of Rome. This is from 1991, 1991 right around the time they create Agenda 21. 
global food security, information security, uh, right here. Here it is. If we were playing poker, I'd be like, read it and weep. The common enemy of humanity's man. Let me just make sure I'm focused on that because I got a stack of books there. Good. there you go. yeah, very good. The common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. In their totality and in their interactions, these phenomena do constitute a common threat which demands the solidarity of all peoples. But in designating them as the enemy, we fall into the trap about which we have already warned, namely mistaking the symptoms for the causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. So, And if I may... From um, the people who brought you the World Economic Forum, which now brings you to COVID-19, the Great Reset, this is in between in that line of history. So uh, just if I may, Rich, Chris McMillan pointed this out just to provide even more context about the importance of having a common enemy. Uh, this is, uh, I think, from the chapter, The Probla Problematique. Oh, Problematique, so, yeah. Problematique. Okay, so this is what Chris sent us this week when we were going over this. The need for enemies, I hopefully everyone can see that, the need for enemies seems to be a common historical factor. States have striven to overcome domestic failure and internal contradictions by designating external enemies. The scapegoat practice is as old as mankind itself. When things become too difficult at home, divert attention by adventure abroad. Bring the uh, divided nation together to face an outside enemy, either a real one or else one invented for the purpose. With the disappearance of the traditional enemy, the temptation is to designate as scapegoat religious or ethnic minorities whose differences are disturbing. Can we live without enemies? Every state has been so used to classifying its neighbors as friend or foe that the sudden absence of traditional adversaries has left government and public opinion with a great void. New enemies, therefore, have to be identified. New strategies imagined, new weapons devised. The new enemies may have changed in nature and location, but they are no less real. They threaten the whole human race, and their names are pollution, water shortage, famine, malnutrition, illiteracy, unemployment. However, it appears that awareness of new enemies is as yet insufficient to elicit world cohesion and solidarity for the fight. Yeah, they need like Osama bin Laden and some 9-11 happening. They need a new Pearl Harbor. You got it. Also, the collapse of the ideologies has removed some of the necessary points of reference. So, you know, this again, there's a little bit more context about needing a common enemy to galvanize solidarity. Yeah, or, or a supranational problem, something that transcends nation states like global warming or, you know, viruses or, you know, a whole host of different situations, you know, global terrorism, whatever that can, or maybe a, a fake alien invasion someday, who knows what they'll come up with next. But in order to be able to usher us in, in lockstep, in agreement um, culturally with allowing this sort of one world transhumanist government technocracy government to emerge. So if I had to play one piece of evidence in mm -hmm. that game i would play the november 1998 foreign affairs mm -hmm. issue where philip zelikow ashton yeah. carter john deutsch wrote about new pearl harbor it's the prenac document before they wrote the wait zelikow was a part of that too. yes and Holy zelikow shit. also published it at harvard 
before he became in charge of the investigation that he had the outline for the investigation results before they did the investigation. So go back before 9-11. Where were these guys? Ashton Carter becomes director of the Pentagon, uh, secretary of defense. John Deutsch was in the CIA and and Philip Mm -hmm. Zelikow was a little known University of Virginia guy who studied urban, how to create urban myths. That's one of his things. How to create urban myths. Now we're back to narrative. So it goes back to the grammar of the situation. Here's, Here's this article. Who are the authors? What are they all about? There's another article in that same issue. I don't burn uh, Bernard Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. And it's about Osama bin Laden, public enemy number one. So between these two articles, there's the CFR painting out like this is our strategy of preemption and certainty. And then they just start to scale up from there. So they float policy articles. They get opinions. They get resources. They have a new boogeyman, new enemy. And that's the first place in American literary culture it's it, there's no place in the literature where it's presented, you know, uh, New Pearl Harbor, World Trade Center, uh, Osama bin Laden, Osama, all of it together, all of it for the new yes. boogeyman age right. of the 21st century. Right. That's a real artifact. Those people exist. X, Those people yes, gained yeah, from yeah. power. Kibono, it's them. It's yeah. other people that they worked with, and it's not a United States specific thing. It's a NATO OTAN type of operation that just like Oklahoma City was. Right. And notice how they're beginning to craft the narrative. Like that's sort of the grammar of the narrative that then they then later in 2001 provide to the public, the mainstream media in lockstep within what every mainstream news outlet within an hour of the World Trade Center uh, situation, the hijackings and, and what happened at 9-11. What about the anthrax attacks that came from Porton down in, right. in Dietrich? I mean, right. it's the AIM strain of, of anthrax. It's only available in two places on the planet, both of which NATO had access to, by the way. Just saying, in case that matters for anyone playing at home yeah. in the future. Right. So, hashtag know, you, know your opposition. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.